0: Well, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, uh, or have been out, we're starting, uh, we started a new series last week called Passing the Baton. Bill mentioned it in his children's story. And we're taking lessons from the early church. Today, we're going to talk about the early Adventist pioneers of our faith, and also part of, uh, we're going to continue on next week. And then we're going to wrap it up at the end of the month of what are, how do we How do we take these lessons and not only apply it to our present context, but more importantly, how do we face the future? Where do we go? Is our world changing? Amen. So though our world may be changing, the principles that we can learn from the early believers, from the Bible, and also from our early uh, Adventist pioneers are also just as relevant even for today. So Let's go ahead. Let's begin with um, a word of prayer. Um, I'm just going to stay off the bat. We're probably going to go over a little bit just because I'm cramming as much. I'm cramming a couple 1000 years of history into 25 minutes. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness as we dive deep now into the lessons of our early church. Lord, it's important that we look back and reflect because we need to remember the lessons. Otherwise, Lord, what are we bound to do? We're bound to repeat them. So be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There once was a young man named Johnny. And Johnny had a girlfriend. Johnny loved his girlfriend. He wanted to take his girlfriend out on a date. And so they went to the movies. He stood in line. Actually, they both stood in line. They waited. They bought their tickets. He went, then went to the refreshment stand. And he went to go get some popcorn and a soda while his girlfriend went into to grab their seats. So he waited the requisite five minutes to get the popcorn and the soda. He got it, he went into the theater. And as he was in the theater, he realized the uh, the previews were already in full force. And he realized, Oh, there was his girlfriend. So he walked up five rows up, he turned he tried to avoid stepping on people's toes. He sat down. He, just, he was so excited to watch this movie. He was so joyful and exuberant. He turned around and he kissed his girlfriend. Lo and behold, as he was kissing her, his girlfriend, who was actually sitting behind him, said, Johnny, I'm sitting behind you. You're kissing the wrong woman. <clears throat> Anybody ever do that? <laughs> I would hope not. To which Johnny then quoting the great movie. um, Oh, I I can't even remember that. Oh, do I feel sheepish Emperor's New Groove. Some of you remember that movie. Well, I feel sheepish today our sermon title is Where Did We Go Wrong? You know, I love our church. Amen. But did our church always get it right? Nope. We met a few bumps along and some egregious errors along the way. And I think that's something that we have to be mindful of. We have to be honest. Look, our forefathers were faithful. God bless them. They didn't always have the whole picture at the very beginning. And I think that's true of actually that's life. That's history. God revealing God's wisdom and plans slowly but surely. But we have to be faithful. And sometimes even Bible characters did they always have it right? Absolutely not. So let's go into a little bit of our story. Now the Adventist Church, Downey Church, where does it come from? Well, it's part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church denomination. And where did this denomination begin? Belong, a long, long time ago, in the 1800s. There was a man named William Miller, who started the Millerite movement. Okay, the roots of the Adventist Church began with the Millerite movement. William Miller, he was a what we call a reluctant prophet. He was actually a deist and a deist was at one point, um, this belief that they reject Christianity with all of its miracles and supernatural revelation or actually more of argues for a, a distant God who does not actively participate in earthly events or affairs. However, In 1812, the War of 1812, his life was forever changed because as he experienced life as a soldier, he began to question his beliefs and his assumptions and his thoughts. Well, eventually, he went and turned to the Bible and he began this very rigorous Bible study. He was a zealous student. He started in Genesis and continued to go through the Bible verse by verse. To me, I love this guy. He's a good student. He uses concordance and after two years, though, after very, as it says, solemn, he made this solemn conclusion that in about 25 years, about that time in 1843, all affairs of our present state will be wound up, and Christ would come. Okay, so he felt with great conviction that Jesus was coming back. Now Miller, uh, based this assumption off of a passage that many are probably familiar with in Daniel 814, And Daniel and Revelation, Revelation play a strong, uh, uh, have a strong presence in his thoughts and as we begin this, uh, this movement. So in Daniel 814, it says unto 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And also using the year and day principle in numbers and in Ezekiel, he concluded that Jesus is going to come about 1843. So he spends another five years studying his Bible. He, he comes convicted and he realizes he needs to share this with others. So as it's recorded here, I'm, I'm reading, um, Miller entered into a solemn covenant with God. And if God opened the way, he would do, it would be his duty to share, essentially, uh, Jesus returning. Feeling he needed to be more specific, Miller promised God that if he would receive an invitation to speak publicly in any place, he would go and teach about the Lord's second coming. Instantly, he penned all of my burden was gone. And I rejoiced that I would not probably be thus called upon, for I had never had such an invitation. So he thinks he's in the clear. How long do you think it took for a uh, for an invitation to come? Anybody want to guess? It says within 30 minutes, somebody knocked on Miller's door and says, Hey, I got a place to you, I want you to speak for me. So what was Miller's response? He was like, What? He was a little incensed. How could this be? No, 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 because he thought he was clear. He was good. Well, he couldn't go against his covenant with God. And so he begins to speak and people start to believe they start to follow this guy, William Miller, he's, they're sharing, he's coming, Jesus is coming. In 1843, it can't be. Well, there are people though, who heard about him, wanted to help him. Uh, Joshua V. Himes, he was a pastor at the Chardon Street Chapel, invited Miller to teach and wanted him to help, wanted to help him. See, Himes was uh, a man though, who he knew how to get things going. He actually used the printing press. Well, I guess you could say was the, the social media, the news, the, the, the ability, the public relations to share uh, about Jesus is returning. And eventually, William Miller goes what they consider what we consider now viral, they use these publications of Signs of the Times and Midnight Cry. And over the next four years, everybody worldwide heard about Miller believing that Jesus was coming in 1843. Himes was also a brilliant organizer, he organized these general conference meetings of the believers and Adventist camp meetings in between 1842 and 1844, over 130 camp meetings took place, and it's estimated over 500,000 people attended these camp meetings. But what Miller was talking about also contradicted what the general belief was that Jesus would return after the millennium after a 1000 years so but yet, well, time goes by 18 1843 Miller did not necessarily set a specific date, but he thought between March 20 20 something, I think, March, March 21, 1843 to 1844, Jesus would come. Time went by. Jesus didn't show up. They considered it the tearing time. And they spoke, they deliberated, they tried to recalculate, they tried to come back together. And then they concluded that October 22, 1844 was the day that Jesus would return. And so people start with anticipation. Seven months go by, and everybody's wondering is this really going to happen? People literally sell everything. They give up their retirement. They give up their homes. They give up all of their possessions because they believed that Jesus was coming soon. They were putting all of their eggs in one basket. And on October 22, 1844, many people actually would, were meeting in fields waiting to see this great cataclysmic event take place. Tens of thousands hoped with anticipation, but it was not to be. October 22 1844 came. And at midnight, there was an awful cry amongst all the believers, what had happened? Where was Jesus? Uh, It said, I our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted and such a spirit of weeping came over us as I had never experienced before. And it seemed that the loss of all earthly friends could have no comparison. We wept and wept till the day dawned. Hiram Edson, who would eventually come to a different conclusion about what happened on October 22. So what happened? Many of these people had to rebuild their lives. Can you imagine selling everything Unfortunately, some it was too much and they took their own lives. Imagine all of the villainy that they experienced because they had been claiming that Jesus was returning. And when somebody says something and it doesn't prove to fruition, what do we tend to do? We zone in on them and make fun of them. Amen. Not saying it's right. But that's what tends to happen. There was hazing. And the question that was on everybody's mind was, what, where did we go wrong? What happened? Well, out of this, there were some lessons. There were some lessons that we can learn. But there's also a couple of things that we need to mu- point out, and that several groups emerged from the Great Disappointment. There were some who believed that just nothing ever happened. There was also another group that we'll call the spiritualizers. They believed that Jesus had returned, but it was in a spiritual return. And then the third group, which our church came out of, was something did happen, but it wasn't the second advent. Hiram Edson, again, who uh, I, the quote that I just read was a, a Methodist farmer. He was in a prayer session with some friends, with some other believers. They had to figure out what did we get wrong? He was crossing the field and as he stopped in the middle of the field there, he had this vision. He says, "Uh, I I was stopped midway and heaven seemed open to my view. I saw distinctly and clearly that instead of our high priest coming out of the most holy of the heavenly sanctuary to come to this earth on the 10th day of the seventh month at the end of the 2300 days, that he for the first time entered on that day, the second apartment of that sanctuary, and that he had a work to perform in the most holy before coming to this earth. And so his conclusion was that instead of Jesus coming here, he moved into the second apartment of the holy sanctuary and that, as it says, the sanctuary would be cleansed. So Edson, his walking, his buddy who was with him, he turns around and says, Hey, Ed, what are you doing? Come on, let's go. They continue their walk. He then meets with oral Crozier and Han, and they conclude that the sanctuary cleansed was not on the earth or the church, but the sanctuary in heaven. And so they came to this conclusion after also reading Hebrews, Leviticus and Daniel, and this kind of it eventually becomes the foundational teaching of the Adventist church. But the Adventists, the, the early believers had to come to this conclusion that you had to have an open mind to be flexible and united in purpose Were the key characteristics of the early church, and the Adventist pioneers. Edson realized, we got it wrong. So what do they do? And much like the principles that we talked about last week of teaching of Scripture, of prayer, of, of fellowship, and, and the fourth one, which isn't here in this story, but is also across the board important, that of food, they didn't forget those principles, rather than just giving up, they went back to the Bible. And they didn't give up, they learned, okay, We got it wrong, and they had to admit it, but that's okay. But what can we learn from this experience, and how can we move forward? So they were faithful to the early church principles of prayer and of teaching of fellowship. Early church leaders, our pioneers, had to swallow the truth that they had been mistaken. How hard of a pill do you think that was to swallow? That was a hard pill to swallow, and oftentimes I think you know even as a church we look back on this part of the period where we weren't actually even formed, but it's an important part of our history that we have to recognize it. And look, look, we got it wrong, and one of the glaring things that we have to remind ourselves too of what does um, what does Matthew twenty six or Revelation three three talk about? Do we know exactly? When Jesus is coming, 2 Peter 3.10, no one knows the day or the hour when, who will come. The Lord. So while in their intensity and desire to know, we have to remember across the board and multiple times, Jesus and other authors in the Bible say, hey, buddy, we don't know exactly when Jesus is coming. But God is faithful. Because remember, as we also talked about, God told the disciples to go teach, preach, baptize, and lo and behold, guess what? I am what? I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen? So that is a promise that God will be with us. And though we have this great desire to see Jesus, look, we don't know exactly when Jesus is going to return, but he will return. But this sets off a movement and actually we weren't considered a movement. They didn't want to be called a church because for many of the early church pioneers, they were, they were a little, let's just say, they were a little hesitant to want to bring in an organization because many of them had had a bad experience with organized church. But as we'll we'll talk about next week, why did we actually have to come together and, and organize? well ultimately it was in the best interest to be able to bring the church the movement to the best way to be able to share the gospel but this is pre actual incorporated church between 1844 and 1863 the early believers they continued to meet in small groups across the country and then they eventually started decided decided to get together in these called general conferences they would meet they would share ideas they would come together they would study In fact, some of our uh, most um, important beliefs that we uh, now believe over the intervening years, such as Christ's second coming as a literal event, the Sabbath, uh, when people die, they're simply asleep. um, And the prophetic gift, all of these beliefs were were um, articulated and, and realized in between the intervening years of the time of 1844. In 1863. So you have these small band of groups, working together, sharing the good news, and putting in as we talked about last week, their own money, raising money, but they, they many of them spent their own money to succeed in sharing the good news that Jesus was returning, but more importantly, that Jesus had died, and desires to save you. Amen. Amen. So along the way, we also learn of a prophet. Ellen G. White emerged as a leader and a prophet to help guide the Seventh-day Adventist church. And I'll also mention too, she was not just like William Miller, she she was a reluctant prophet. She did not want to be considered or called a prophet. But God used her in a mighty way. I you know, as I was um, studying and and reminding myself of all this history, Ellen White was 17 at the time of uh, the Great Disappointment. And for a time at the very beginning, she lost faith and thought, oh, well, it's over. But in December, she has her, I believe it was her first vision. And we'll talk about that a little more next week. But it was a catalyst and she would be a strong proponent and help us to move this uh, movement to becoming uh, not just a movement, but a church. And it would be this good news would be spread throughout the World. So she is also a key contributor, along with her husband, James White, and Joseph Bates, who was also a sea captain. Suffice so to say, um, I think without her, I don't know that there would be an Adventist church. So the other thing that I also want to, during this time, and because it's education Sabbath, uh, wanting to dedicate, another key component was education and health were topics and, and ideas that were uh, they fully the early pioneers believed in they wanted to make sure that their children and people could be able to learn not only the Bible, but also be able to take care of themselves. And I believe our first official school was not built until I think 1872. But the proponents it started in the 1850s. So education and health uh, as as uh, one somebody who said I might have been actually Ellen White have been left in the right hand of the gospel of ministry moving forward. Because how can you, just like Jesus, minister to others if you don't meet the needs of people who are in need? Until people really know that you care about them and love them, will you then be able to earn the right to earn their trust and that they will want to follow you? They were also involved in the temperance movement, realizing, hey, alcohol is not necessarily in tobacco, not the best things, diet. But we were also uh, heavily involved in the Underground Railroad movement too. There was a social justice component to making sure that people could be treated with fair, uh, fairness and love and respect because God has saved not just a few, but everyone. Amen. Now, Oh, I've said a lot. (laughs) What can we take away from this? Number one, do we always get it right? No. No. So what do we do? Let's own our mistakes. Let's do better. Yes, it is embarrassing to be wrong at times. But we have to be adaptable and to learn. Just like the early believers as well. Did they always get it right? Was everything great? No. Let's look at Acts 6. When the widows were being left out, the, the 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 um the Greek uh Jew, the Greek Jewish believers, what was happening to them? Their needs were being sidestepped in in, in uh, when the, the the real quote Jewish believers, their, those widows were being uh, helped first. And so when you're banded together, when you're trying to look out for one another. How can you have harmony when one, one, per, one group's needs are being met and the other is not? So, the the apostles, they were busy trying to teach everybody. It's like, look, we can't do everything. So they got together, they came up with seven deacons, the people who would help lead and take matters to handle the practical logistics of this movement that they were moving forward with so that they could make sure that they could dedicate their time the full time to preaching and teaching. Even the early church faced discrimination. Even the early church didn't always have it together. But they were open minded, they were flexible, this is just one incident. And they were united in purpose, much like our early church pioneers, they were united in the purpose and the calling that Jesus was returning. So as we move forward, we're reminded that sorry, I missed this part, the Advent movement was a series of small groups sharing around the country collectively that the good news that Jesus was returning soon. And that education and health have been rooted from the very beginning in our Adventist church. Now this week, reflection, where have you been wrong? And how did you respond? Where have you been wrong? And how did you respond? I was wrong once. (laughs) I assumed that my wife and I were dating. According to me, it was August 4, 2002. However, a couple of weeks later, uh, one of her dear friends asked, uh, so what's going on? It's like, what? Are you guys dating or not? Yeah, he said no. She told me you haven't a- you haven't asked me properly. <laughs> so 20 years ago today, August 13, I asked my beloved wife if she would be my girlfriend. So I love you. She's very mad at me pointing her out, but 20 years today is our being together anniversary next month will be 15 years being married. But folks, we all make mistakes along the way. The question is, how are you going to respond to it? Are you going to have too much pride to say, Nope, it's not my fault. Or we didn't get it wrong. You got it wrong. One of the greatest lessons we can take is learn from the humility of our early church, the early church believers, and also our Adventist pioneers that along the way, we're going to make mistakes. But it's what we learn from them and how we move forward. So (laughs) our challenge, find someone or something that you disagree with. And I want you to intentionally listen to their point of view. And afterwards, reflect and see if there's anything that you may have misunderstood where they're coming from after and before. Got it? That's a hard pill to swallow. How many of you can tolerate listening to somebody that you vehemently disagree with? I have a hard time. I'll, I'll be the first to admit, right. But we're not going to get anywhere. If we don't take the time to listen to one another, and understand before we make our own conclusions about what they're trying to say, or do. Our early Adventist pioneers, did they always agree? No, they disagreed. Did the early church always agree or disagree? Oh, they disagreed. Peter and Paul, I think at one point, they to—they were ready to throw down. It got so vehemently heated. But God has called us, even in our own brokenness, in our imperfections, and thank God, still wants to use us, despite the fact that we are broken in sin. And if God can use us, anything is possible. God wants to use us anything is possible. So may you go forth, have courage, take time to listen. Take time to ask myself, Am I doing everything right? Am I thinking everything correctly? Have I always got it right? Or is there something to learn? And may you be reminded of the love and the grace that Jesus desires to share with all of us. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace and your love and your wisdom and the promise Lord that you will return soon. Help us Lord to learn from the lessons of the past that we may not repeat them. They're big lessons, Lord. But you are a God who understands and sees through everything. So be with us. Help us to know how to go forth to be your ambassadors, to lead and to guide us to share with us the words of wisdom that you want us to share with others. And above all, Lord, may we represent you faithfully, here, in our homes, in our work, and at the grocery store, in the post office, in the neighborhood, wherever we go. That others may see that you are real, and desire to know more about you, and Lord, ultimately, to give their life and follow you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Grace and peace, everybody.